Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us for episode 164. We are recording Sunday, February 20th, 2022 at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. We got Todd. We got Zach. All right, this is the first time we've been on since the Super Bowl. And we, we had quite the Twitter conversation, or Twitter, texting conversation going on during the Super Bowl. So, um, what'd you guys think? I say Matthew Stafford would be played by Chris Pratt. Isn't that what we were talking about? No. Wait, that was a different conversation. Uh, we did have the conversation of who would play Andrew Whitworth, and I loved I loved the choice that was made. What was yeah. what was the choice again? Rick from Pawn Stars. Oh yeah, Rick from, from Pawn Stars. Stars. <laughs> that yeah. Oh, uh, that'd be perfect. It'd be perfect. I like though. I also like. I don't think I texted this, but Will Forte as the Bengals defensive coordinator, whatever his oh. name was. Lou Lou Adarigno. Only if he does his his like halftime inspirational dance. I don't know what that means. Oh, SNL. Look look it up. Okay. Will Forte halftime dance. Okay. Who would now? Who are we playing? Who's casting as Sean McVay? That's the real question. Man, there's not, there's not a good one. I'm gonna say Kevin James. <laughs> Every football movie is now better with Kevin James in it. So. Exactly. And I'm going to go uh, Adam Sandler's wife as his uh, supermodel girlfriend slash fiance. <laughs> yeah. Who would play McVay in a movie? I don't know. So it's got to be like, what, a 35-year-old or something? 35-year-old, five-foot-nothing. I mean, you could do like Zac Efron. True. I, we should answer this question. At, let's pose it to the listeners. Listeners, what, uh, can you answer this for us? Let's make this a Twitter question. There we go. There we go. We'll put it out there. Yeah. Who should play Sean McVay in a movie? These are the questions we need to we need to be asking. A damn tough question. It is a it is a tough one. It's a tough one. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's get into what we're doing here. Um, Remember to subscribe, rate, and review all over the internet. Um, make sure you are checking us out at almostsideways.com. Uh, you can see uh, how we did on our Oscar predictions for the nominations. And by the time you're listening to this, our Oscar challenge will be posted for, uh, for this year. See if you can predict who's going to win the Oscars this year. Uh, there's some slam dunks, but not very many, I don't think. So it could be, it could be an interesting, uh, interesting poll that we put out there in, in competition. And if you win, you get to be a guest on the podcast, which Kyle Heck has like 10 of those invitations. That means never that's taken. true. That is true. I think that is going to de-incentivize some people. <laughs> who won last, who won last year? I'm trying to remember. Did we throw that out there last year? <clears throat> Was it that girl who works for TCM? No, the no. girl that was like, I, I, the worst person in the world was my number one back in like December who crashed our top 10 podcast. Oh, yeah, I remember that. 
Okay, it was. Oh, it was Josh. It was my my friend Josh Nix. So he he has an open invite to the podcast too. I mean, he'd come just for an excuse to drink some beer. Um, there we go. There we go. All right. Well, speaking of that, what are we drinking today, Zach? I see you are uh, you've returned to the residence. I have, and, I'm, uh, I'm and it's not again. November or it's not January. So January's over. I didn't get the message last week, but uh, I did this week, and I went to Trader Joe's and I got me some two buck Chuck, and it is uh, every bit as delicious as that two dollar and thirty seven cents. Actually, it's three dollars and thirty seven cents, and I got to go over the Missouri line to get it because they don't have it at the Kansas <laughs> Trader Joe's, but it's it's worth it. And God bless the 12% alcohol. It's it's amazing. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Todd, what do you got? This is bourbon and ginger ale. Bourbon and ginger ale. What what kind of bourbon? It's cheap. It's uh the Earl Settler. Okay. Kentucky straight bourbon. It's a total wine original. But is bourbon but and kinda... ginger ale a drink? Is that like does that have a name? No, I mean, well. I like a uh, Irish whiskey and ginger ale is like a, a thing. Yeah, but, like a J and G. Yeah, but bourbon is what I had, and I had also had ginger ale, and it's pretty good. I mean, the spritziness of the ginger ale makes, you know, uses the flavors of the bourbon pretty well. The spritziness, I like it. I like it. All right, well, I've got quite the stash of beer now, so I don't know if I'm going back to the brewery for a little while. But today, I'm drinking. This is uh, New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger line, and this is the uh, the Starship IPA. Nice. Yep. Yep. Uh, seven point seven. So it, it's a it's a it's a good one. It's a good one. So we're gonna have some fun. That makes right. me think of the. I saw the new Buzz Lightyear trailer at the dog uh, screening I went to today. Did you see that, Todd? At your screening? Uh, no. Okay. Is there a new one? Yeah, oh, I hadn't seen it before. It was not the, <laughs> it was not the same one as before. And then I saw oh. like a five minute like teaser video for the new Spider Man. I had not seen that before. You, what? Yeah, I'd go see Dog just for the previews. There was some <laughs> crazy stuff there. Was not expecting that. That's amazing. All right, well, let's talk about what we've been watching, and we're gonna start with Todd. Okay, uh, I watched a movie directed by. PJ McCabe and friend of the podcast, Jim Cummings. And that his is 2021 movie called the beta test. Oh, I want to see that. He uh, plays a guy named Jordan Hines and he's an agent in Hollywood. And he gets a letter in the mail that invites him to some anonymous sex thing. And even though he's engaged, he goes through with it and he gets caught up in this underworld web of like devious sex. But the bad part is that uh, there's reports that start coming up about similar sounding <laughs> cases, which are all resulting in like the spouse murdering the cheater. And uh, so he's kind of paranoid at that point. Uh, Jim Cummings is a very unique actor. I, I want him to do more things, but he is electric in his own material. Like he's kind of clueless, but he does a great job of playing the everyman. Even in this, where he's like more of a Patrick Bateman than a normal dude, he's still likable enough, even though he ha uh, has some like seriously horrible things that he does. The, the movie is pretty wild and it's really well directed. Like he, he basically does everything here. He's directing, he's writing, he's starring, he's editing. I can never really get on top of where the movie was going on necessarily. It is provocative. It's really dark and funny. And uh, uh, it's, but it's also kind of terrifying in a way of like uh, the invisible man is. And uh, 
it's sort of like a twisted satire of Hollywood. And it's, it's really good. And I, I think Jim Cummings can do no wrong. Like, The Wolf of Snow Hollow was one of my favorite movies of like two years ago. And it was always really dark and messed up. And it was his best directing showcase. And then we were all big fans of Thunder Road. He's growing as a filmmaker. And I don't think there's anyone else in his or our like generation that is doing <coughs> the filmmaker actor thing the way he is. I mean, I, I think he's going to get nominated for an Oscar at some point. The beta test is really good. It's on Hulu right now. And uh, it's it's definitely like top 15 of 2021. Three and a half stars. Jim Cummings would be playing in a movie by Will Forte. So what's our yeah. rule on saying friend of the podcast? Is that just any anyone that we like? Well, I think like we, we refer to him as that before. Okay. I mean, you use that term more than any of us, Zach. So oh, I guess that's true. <laughs> I heard I read a review that that just characterized the beta test as the unholy love child of Eyes Wide Shut and Office Space. Is that an accurate? That's, that's not bad. That alone should be, you know, great advertising for it. Wow. Yeah, it's on Hulu. I, I watched that like right away when I found out that it was finally streaming somewhere because I'd been had my eye on that movie for like a year. I need to take some time and watch some of the stuff that's streaming now too. Watch, I will definitely watch that. I was thinking it came it came to Kansas City for like a week and I was very close to seeing it, but I didn't get a chance. <clears throat> All right. Well, Zach, tell us about something you did see. Okay. So uh, I am a big fan, as Todd is, of the movie Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. You haven't seen that, right, Terry? Nope. Uh, and the director is John McNaughton, who also made Mad Dog and Glory, which I like, but not as much. He made another movie in 1996 called Normal Life, uh, which is a movie that uh, is... It was uh, screened for audiences, but the studio didn't like it, and so they released it on HBO. And so it never really got a full theatrical release. Uh, and I watched it. And uh, it stars uh, Luke Perry and Ashley Judd. And in case you needed to know, it's a 90s movie. Uh, and it, they play Chris and Pam Anderson. Not Pam Anderson, Pam Anderson, but uh, a, a character named Pam Anderson. The movie is loosely based on a true story of Jeffrey and Jill Erickson, who were a husband and wife team that uh, robbed banks in Chicago. And like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, this movie takes place in Chicago, the, the Westland of Chicago, which basically uh, Napa Valley is to Miles as Westland Chicago is to me. It's practically my office. And this movie is definitely shot on location there. Um, the movie is about uh, basically this kind of straight arrow guy, the Luke Perry character, and he's a police <laughs> officer. And then uh, Ashley Judd is this crazy lady. Like she rolls in on roller skates. She's like high all the time. She screams a lot. She's really into outer space. I love movies about like a normal person marrying a crazy person. Like a really good one also is White Palace, the Susan Sarandon movie with uh, uh, James Spader good one anyway um eventually you know their dysfunction turns into uh being broke and so they have to resort to a life of crime the movie resembles a little bit of ryan gosling's sort of trajectory in place beyond the pines in fact luke perry kind of screams like ryan gosling does in that movie i'm wondering if ryan was inspired by that performance it's an awesome movie i mean i i think john mcnaughton's a really talented director i don't really know what happened to him sadly but like henry portrait of a serial killer it's just like this look at this life that is just kind of depressing and listless but amazing to watch as like a train crash and uh the problem with this movie is that it didn't star Nicolas Cage and Angelina Jolie. Had had they been the, the husband and wife, the straight arrow and the crazy wife, 
this movie would have gotten a lot more appeal and i give it a solid three stars it is worth checking out it's on amazon prime have either of you guys heard of it normal life nope never heard of it oh it's 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 a 90s <laughs> underground classic by friend of the podcast john mcnaughton shout out <laughs> John McNaughton, he, has, he hasn't done a whole lot lately. His last movie was called The Harvest in 2013. And uh, yeah, not a whole lot since then. Michael Shannon and Samantha Morton. Wow. All right. Moving on to what I watched. My anniversary, Oscar anniversary watch, uh, went back 10 years to a documentary nomination. Uh, this movie is called Five Broken Cameras. Uh, directed by Emad Bernat and Guy Davidi. And it's a really fascinating tale. It talks about the conflict between um, the Israelis and the Palestinians in the Holy Land. and it, But it tells it in a very interesting way. It talks about this one guy who lives in this small village, Palestinian man. And um, he is telling the story of how the Israelis are kind of are expanding and encroaching on, on his on his town and he tells it in um in the context of his own filming and it's five broken cameras because throughout the making of this movie five cameras were broken and uh from different uh conflicts and different run-ins he had with the israelis uh him him and his group of friends are very non-violent in their uh protests um in kind of a really fun way at times uh like they they protest the um israelis building an, an outpost um on palestinian land near their town by them going and building their own outpost on israeli land and just living in it for a week um it, it just little things that that are proving the the ludicrous the ludicrousness is that a word i don't know we're going with it of what of what is happening there um it's funny because throughout these Oscar-nominated documentaries, I'm learning more and more about uh, really what what's going on in that conflict over there, and getting some really inside looks. Um, a couple, or what I think it was last year, I watched one called Promises, which was looking at some kids that were involved in this. Um, there, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on. Anyways, this is a three-star documentary. Um, it's on Canopy right now. If you want to check it out. Uh, but yeah, it, it's kind of a it's kind of fun, even though it's talking about stuff that isn't fun. But it's fun because of the nonviolent nature of of some of their protests, even though it does get quite deep and dark at times too. So, by broken cameras. All right. So where does that put you on the 2011 documentary? Uh, you list? mean 2012? 2012. Excuse me. It's 2022 now, dude. Yeah. Um, got just yeah. Got let me off. see here. I have, what won that year? I don't even remember. That year, the winner was Searching for Sugar Man. Oh, and Sugar um, Man came to the Oscars, I believe. I Broken Camera is actually the first one I've seen. But we're in February. There's still time. I, I've All of them are on my list. Or wait, ooh, did I see The Invisible War? I think I did see The Invisible War. Now I'm not sure. Gosh dang it. What was Doesn't the 2012 War? seem such a long time ago? It doesn't, doesn't. Well, no, I've not watched the Invisible War. Searching yet. for Sugar Man, like that, I feel like was like five years ago. <laughs> I don't think I've seen. Yeah, I'm looking here. I haven't seen any of the best documentary nominees. 
Well, Five there's, Broken Cameras is an easy 90-minute watch. So One of them is called How to Survive a Plague. I feel like that was very prescient. Oh, yeah, that will be a good one to watch. Yeah. Um, Although it's I'm about AIDS, here. not COVID. Well, I'd, I'd hope so, since it was made in 2012. I don't think anything would be about COVID-19 in 2012. But um, I believe, let me look here. Um, yeah, Searching for Sugar Man is actually going to be the last movie I watch this year of my Oscar, Oscar, uh, Oscar watches. So, and How to Survive a Plague is not that far before it. So it'll take me all year to get through them, but I will. I will. Now, do you think Searching for Sugarman is about that character in the Coen Brothers movie, Larry Sugarman? Oh, obviously. Obviously, the, that's what it's about. The, the serious man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clearly, no one's I, gonna I, get that. I joke. thought it, I thought it, it was the search for um, for the uh, the washed up uh, minor league pitcher that was um, that was highlighted in the film Sugar, <laughs> searching for Sugar Man. Yeah, right. <laughs> Todd's dying here. He is. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move into uh, some featured reviews now. We have two of them uh, today. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And the first one, we're, we're all going to be talking about. The second one, only Todd and Zack are going to be talking about. But let's get to one of the more anticipated movies from 2021 that none of us had seen yet. And now all of us had seen because it came close to us. Finally, it is the worst person in the world. Let's go, Potter. Okay. Okay. Hold it. Hold it. We are okay, Trula. We are okay. You okay? No. I said goodbye to me. I looked in the mirror. Then I began to cry. I leave my things behind for all to see and hope that she will understand why ending the game is like changing the name of your favorite song idag hvis du er glad i mig hvis du elsker mig så då fixar vi allt det andra jag älskar dig men jag älskar dig inte Excuse me. Uh, oh, okay. cut that out. All right. Sugarman's the character in like Little Miss Sunshine, right? Oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, that's All it. For yeah. the win. I, I feel like is that, is that Brian Cranston? Sugarman, yeah. that's right. He's the proof yeah. scholar. Yeah. All right. I don't know where we're at here. Okay. Uh, so, worst person in the world. That's where we're when, at. I want to say that when you look up the worst person in the world on Wikipedia, for some reason, it takes you to the page for Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Just going to throw that out there. I don't know what. <laughs> 
I'm in a different world right now, but I did find it. So I'm here. Here we go. Okay. So worst person in the world is the Academy Award nominated new feature from Joaquin Trier, friend of the podcast. I mean, kind of a friend of the podcast. I think we've all given his movies thumbs up. I don't know if Terry's seen any of his movies, but Todd assigned me so. one of his movies last year, uh, Louder Than Bombs, which I liked, although not as much as Todd did. Um, anyway, this is a movie that stars, oh boy, who's going to say it right? Renate Reinsve? Reinsve? I've heard Renzvi. Renzvi. Renzva. Uh Yeah. So she, Renate, Renate, Renata, Renata. Renata. Uh, yeah, Renata. She plays Julie. This was a bad idea to have me introduce this movie, by the way. Um, and uh, she is a medical student living in Oslo, although she does a lot of things, actually. Uh, this movie is told in a prologue and an epilogue in 12 chapters. And the prologue kind of shows at the beginning that she starts as a medical student, but then goes in a lot of different directions. She can never really settle on one thing. And if there's one sort of consistency, I guess, ironically, about her character, it is kind of her flightiness and inability to commit to one thing, whether that be a career whether that be job prospects, whether that be her love life. Um, the movie kind of looks at four years of the co course of her life and uh, mainly her relationships with two men. The first is her uh, is a comic artist named Axel, and he's played by Anderson. Uh, let's see, uh, Anders Danielson Lai, Lee, who has been in a couple of, uh, of Trier's other films. And uh, he's a little bit older than her. Uh, he's ready to ha start a family. She's not really into that. She's a little bit more spontaneous. There's about a 15-year age gap between them. And then she meets, um, uh, oh boy, uh, what was his name? I Ivan. Thank you, Terry. And uh, he's played by Herbert Nor Nordrum. And uh, he works at a coffee shop, I believe. But their connection is a little bit more instantaneous, a little bit more goofy, a little bit less intellectual. And she is a bit essentially torn between these two guys uh, who she has, a, a, you know, admiration and fondness for both of them. But she kind of has to decide, you know, does she want this kind of life where she's almost like the side piece to this guy who's a pretty renowned um, artist and illustrator? Or does she want to live this kind of maybe more bohemian life with this guy who's a little bit more like fly by night, so to speak? He's in a relationship, by the way, too, as the movie sort of begins. Um, a lot of people have talked about how this movie really captures the essence of being in your 20s. Um, the kind of, you know, there's several scenes in this movie where, you know, this character smokes pot and does some things that are not the most intelligent things in the world. Um, she doesn't always put her career first or her needs first. Um, she kind of does things that are impulsive. And then we're supposed to watch it and be like, yep, that's kind of what you do in your 20s. Um, this movie also has some of Trier's uh, themes in them, um, if we're to identify Trier's <clears throat> themes, which is that people make decisions that have real consequences. And there's actually, uh, this movie kind of gets billed as a comedy drama. I found it a lot more dramatic than comedic. There weren't a whole lot of moments in this movie that were laugh out loud. There's a lot of devices in this movie. There's the 12 chapters in the prologue and epilogue. There's a narrator. There are several times when this movie kind of breaks the fourth wall and tries to do some innovative stuff with like um, a, in, uh, what do we want to say, like an Inception-esque moment when uh, life stops or like maybe the opening of Vanilla Sky. Uh, there's another sequence with animation. 
I like this movie. I got to say I did not love it. Uh, I think the problem for me with Trier can be summed up in a great tweet this week by Nikki Six of Motley Crue. I don't know if you guys heard, but Motley Crue and Pearl Jam have been going at it online. And Nikki Six had this incredible tweet that I loved. He was going after Pearl Jam and he said... Pearl Jam is a brown-haired band for brown-haired fans. And that's the way I feel about this movie. I think this movie is fine. It's like, it's a movie about button-up people that don't have a lot of personality. They're bland. They're good-looking. They don't really have a whole lot of problems in their life. Everything seems like it's going to be okay. This movie, I think, captures a woman, but kind of viewed through a male lens. She's really defined by her relationships. And if you want to defend the movie, you can say, well, you know, she she even says the line, she feels like a supporting player in her own movie. But I didn't feel like her character was that unique or that, like, out there in a way. I felt it was kind of drawn in generalities. The movie does this kind of rehabilitation arc for another character by the end of it, who I didn't feel a whole lot of sympathy for. And I think the movie wants us to sympathize with that character. I just didn't really see it. I give kudos to the filmmaker. I think it's just more about me than it is Trier. I, for some reason, Trier's movies just never really strike a chord with me. I, I can respect the art. I think his movies are just a little bit too dour. And like I said, kind of brown haired band for brown haired people. It's a movie. It's like, it's a fine movie. I'm not, I don't feel passionate about it in any way. I'm not thinking about it out in the 24 hours since I've seen it. It's a little bit of a disappointment given how much praise this movie has received. I think it's well acted, well performed, but ultimately kind of milk toast. And I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel about it. I give it three stars. All right. Well, I, uh, I'll i go next. I'm giving it three and a half stars. And I think a lot of the, the places where you were hoping for something else, I saw. Um, I, I was completely transfixed by this movie. And it was actually a movie that when I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, I have to like review this and it, it was, it, I felt so lived in watching it that I, I, I had to take a minute to just think about how I was going to put the experience of watching this movie into words because it, you just are completely sucked into this world and, um, and whatever the, this main character is going through. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because she's kind of an anti-hero, but at the same time, you can't help but root for her and love her at the Also, um, I thought, I, I, I know what you were talking about with the redemption arc at the end. And I completely disagree with, with, uh, having sympathy for it. I think the third act just takes us to a whole nother level. Um, and, and really, really grounds the movie when you're like, you were saying there was some parts that were very fantastical at times. Um, yeah, Three and a half stars. It's probably in like my next five that uh, outside of my top 10. Uh, I, I really, I really enjoyed this movie and uh, yeah, I haven't really been able to stop thinking about it. Unlike you, um, but uh, it's it stuck in my head and it has been in the 24 hours since I've watched it. So a, a very different uh, uh, experience for me. Now, Todd, we actually got to watch this movie together, which right. doesn't happen very often. But we did. Um, we didn't really talk about it afterwards. But uh, what what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I, I love this movie. Like, I mean, I, I think the only thing I said to you after was like, I don't really like movies necessarily that are separated into chapters, but this works because each one was like almost anthological. It had 
a different tone in that way, like the ups and downs of the relationships, the pain, the romance and the laughs Like it reminded me of 500 days of summer. But um, in America, this movie would be directed by like Stephen Daldry. It would be way too long. Like the, like the, the last two chapters or so would be like tacked on and it literally has an epilogue, but something about this makes it warranted. I think it's a beautiful story and I think it earns every bit of its runtime. And Rhinesma, I think should be winning best actress. Like this is the most complete performance I've seen from any actor or actress <laughs> in 2021. And both supporting guys are great, especially Herbert Nordrum. Like, he looks so much like Adam Driver. It's kind of, like, creepy. Yeah. Which makes me think that this there, there's a lot in common with Marriage Story. But even that isn't exactly the same. This movie is sort of an original. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, I, what I like about this movie is also it's, like, super self-aware. It's, like, a, it's a movie about an idealistic young woman. And she, like, is making mistakes. And uh, she pushes people away. And she breaks hearts. But the movie is also has that bit about like you know um uh about mansplaining women's issues because this is a movie made by a, a, a like a middle-aged man and he's making a movie about a young woman and similar to roma that would be a problem but he he he's like pushing these buttons too like and then there's the whole conversation about why are you choosing to be offended by my comments that's not necessarily what i think that's just my art like he's preaching but he's also doing it in a way that leaves himself an out that's that whole sequence is like excruciating to watch but I think it's also brilliant. Don't Look Up should take notes on how to make a movie about a meltdown on TV because that was way better. Um, we uh, and we watched that scene, the way Julie just watches it. She's just like, like, oh man, this is like watching a train crash. And it's, it's, it's awesome. I think it's a fantastic movie. And it's the best movie of 2021. Like, Whoa. Even though, Whoa. Even the hallucination sequence is heroin and weird and funny and th those kind of things that I, I don't really necessarily like. I, I love Joaquin Trier, like, Louder Than Bombs, like Zach said, I mean, I love it. It's a brilliant drama. It was in my top five of that year. Thelma is like his weird uh, genre movie. The, like the other parts of his Oslo trilogy, Oslo August 31st, and especially Reprise are also full of just like wonder and beauty. And uh, this is the full package though, and I think it's a masterpiece. I'm giving it four stars. And that makes this your first four-star movie of 2021, right? Yes. So this is the movie you were waiting for. Evidently, I, I was not expecting that going in. But yeah, I mean, I could not stop thinking about it afterwards either. I don't think I went after watching it. I thought it was going to be a four star movie, but then I was just like reflecting on it. Yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm giving it thumbs up. I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. I think the performances are really good in this movie. I think it's interesting, mostly. Uh, it's not even so much... I just felt like, okay, so I think the most, the, the to me, the most well-acted chapter was the second to last one. But I almost feel like that scene wasn't about her. Like, it, I kind of watched this character through these 12 chapters, and I still, at the end of the movie, don't feel like I really know who she is. And is that a, a conscious decision by Trier? Po very possibly, because she doesn't know herself. But at the same time, I feel like I know the two dudes a whole lot more. And I just, again, I'm not accusing the director of being sexist. I just feel like the character, maybe it's just a fundamental problem with the movies that she doesn't know herself. So there's nothing, I don't think that's overly identifiable about her. And I sometimes have a hard time understanding what some of her motives are in a way. Um, and I, 
I also, I got to say, I don't know why this movie was separated into the chapters. I, I felt like it, that was almost like a distraction to me. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that the movie should have been rewritten. I just felt like I, I don't know what, what it was trying to say with the chapters, some of which were very long, others of which seemed to take place in about three minutes. And I don't know what the director was trying to convey with that. But on the other hand, there were moments in this movie that I thought were really well done, very original, very creative. And I think Trier is a talented storyteller. I think it, for, for me, this movie had a lot of buildup and maybe that was part of it. Maybe I just wasn't in the right mindset. You should have seen it with us. Well, listen, <laughs> so I saw it yesterday. I, and I will say, I, I didn't love it after seeing it. But then I watched this freaking movie with Chris, with Luke Perry and uh, uh, what's, uh, uh, sorry, I'm blanking, Ashley Judd. There's a scene where they are pointing guns at each other because they're going to kill themselves. And I'm thinking, why didn't we have more of that in The Worst Person in the World? Okay? <laughs> I just don't feel like these characters are that edgy. I don't feel like the stakes are that high in this movie. I feel like it is 20s angst, which is fine. But, like, it's fine <laughs> if you like the movie Reality Bites which I don't. I'm not a huge fan of that movie. And Todd is, okay? So I understand and respect Todd's choice to love this movie. To me, it is nowhere close to Yakuza and the family, especially the last 45 minutes of that movie, which are extraordinary. And it's fine. It's just not, it's not something that I am going to process or think about in the way that you guys did. Your, your review reminds me a little, oh, what was the other movie we reviewed where we all said... Well, I like gave it a, an Licorice out of respect pizza. three star Licorice, Licorice pizza, yeah. pizza because that movie was very similar. It, th th it had a great trailer. I was looking forward to it so much. And I think I think I let my expectations get in the way a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the way that 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 the character is portrayed in the movie, I you can relate to certain things that she does, but you can't understand her because nobody in their 20s really does things that you can fully understand because they're so aimless but idealistic at the same time, and that's the way that Julie is. No one and understands I, I, her plight. Exactly. <laughs> I like movies where characters wield a knife and scream at people, okay? There wasn't any of that in this movie. Like, even well, did you watch story. the animated part? Oh, that's true. <laughs> the animated part... I will never look at asterisks the same way again. But I will also say that, like, Marriage Story, interesting comparison. I actually thought of, I, I like the Adam Driver comparison. In Marriage Story, you got, like, flames, man. You got, like, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson going at it in that one scene. You got the scene where he's singing so passionately. You got the scene where he's got blood when the social worker, and it's, you know, they're very different movies in a way. But, like, that movie had excitement. And this movie, again, not I'm saying it's not boring, but these people were so, like, reserved. And sort of confined to their like being, you know, uh, genteel, that I just didn't feel the passion that I was hoping to feel. Even the scene where she's running in the street, and this is, you know, from the trailer, and it's in the poster, and you've seen it in the trailer a million times. But even that scene was like, kind of seen it before. I like the scene where he's drumming, too. Like I've never seen a yes. scene that was shot that way before. That I was, was like, that, that that was exhilarating to watch. That was cool. Reason. And that character was cool, and I think that you could make the case that he gives the best performance in the movie because it's a more defined character. Because he's got weird quirks like that. Well, he knows who he is. I mean, I, I think there's something to the fact that she doesn't know who she is, and she's attracted to people who do. Older people. Yeah. And that's sort of the, the judgment that's being placed, but it's also... <laughs> 
I think, perceptive. But yeah, better than Yakuza in the family, really. I was struggling with that. <laughs> Yakuza in the family was such a great pick. I mean, because no one had seen that. That you know, the way that you brought Power of the Dog single-handedly into the Oscar conversation, I was hoping you could do the same for Yakuza in the family, calling it your best of 2021. But alas, you, well, you have to stay true to yourself. Worst person in the world is thrice approved. We've got three stars from Zach, three and a half from me, and four from Todd posting a new number one of 2021. Um, on top of it, it, I realized this afterwards, it was my 2100th movie that I've seen. I'm way far behind. I, I know Todd and probably... It was almost on my... Like, it was one off from being my... Uh, Your movie uh, milestone? 5700th. Gosh. I have it you... num number 33 of 2021. How, how many movies are you at now, Zach, that you've seen? Uh, I'm, getting close to three, I'm getting close to 3,000. I'm at okay. 2,886, something like that. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's Worst Person in the World. Now I'm going to hand the floor over to you two as you are going to be talking about another movie you watched that came out this weekend. It is in theaters everywhere now. By the way, Worst Person in the World, you got to kind of look for it in theaters, but you can find it. Anyways, this one is in all the theaters right now. Uh, starring Channing Tatum, and I think directed by Channing Tatum as well. This is Dog. It's expired, sir. Oh, come on, man. You know how many times I've been in and out of this gate with that? Excuse me? What's the odds on ISIS? Step out of the vehicle, sir. You want me to step hey. out the vehicle? I'll have a... He's with the Ranger Battalion. Ranger Battalion. I've been busting my ass to get my mind and my body back into a good place. I need to get back in the game, sir. You want to get back in the game? Prove it. Sergeant Rodriguez was a legend. Family funeral Sunday outside of Nogales. They want his dog at the funeral. You do this, and you're back in the game. She won't work with anyone. One minute she's good, the next minute she's sending three guys to the ER. What's up, dog? And you're gonna go on a little road trip. Easy. What are y'all so scared of? Smell it out, big time. <laughs> what is your deal, man? Maybe just take the crazy down one notch. Hey! No, 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 no! No! You're just a demon. You're just a demon! Whatever happened to you, dog? You used to be a legend. You're so good. How'd you make her get out of your hand? I just talked to her. See, she's just a noodle. She just needs so good. You don't do anything else psychotic on this trip? Maybe we can have some fun. Is that a deal? Shake? Lulu, is that you? Good girl. Will you give hugs now? Really? Well, Lulu gets the best hug. You've never had a Lulu hug? No, we don't, we don't, we don't exactly hug. You tell me that Nuke was just as messed up as Louie. I had to work him every day for six months. When he stopped struggling, that's when I realized maybe I could stop struggling too. It's okay. It's just lightning, right? Oh, look at that! She's never slept in a nice bed before. There ain't no shame in wanting a big comfy mattress. I was hoping you might have a room for me and my little girl. Is that a purple heart? Was she wounded? Uh... Yes, she she was. Thank you for your service. I've never seen this dog exhibit any aggressive behavior before. Never. She loves people. Oh, 
Oh my God, I can, I can see. You're definitely not the girl I thought I'd be in the tub with, but I'll take what I can get at this point, I guess. And Todd is going to start talking about dogs. So Todd, tell us what it's about, what you thought. It's directed by Channing Tatum and Reed Carolyn. Uh, Channing Tatum plays Jackson Riggs, which is a great name. Sounds like a character in Friday Night Lights. Uh, who uh, He used to be an army ranger, but he has uh, some mental health issues and is now constantly trying to get back in the action. And one of his former commanding officers offers him a mission, uh, after which he'll try to set up a proposal to try to get him back into duty, but it doesn't really look good. But the mission is taking Lulu, which is a Belgian Malinois military dog like a stone cold killer hero dog uh down the west coast to attend his owner slash uh handler's funeral the mission starts in uh joint base lewis mccord in washington and is headed down to nogales arizona yep uh along the way we meet some like colorful characters in portland and like the bay area Riggs can't really seem to get a handle on the dog and of course there's inevitable bonding because Every dog movie must make it clear what the most important part of that movie is. Reminder, the movie is called Dog. Uh, that is the most important character. Uh, Tatum and Carolyn are the creative team behind like the Magic Mike movies. Uh, and the other screenwriter was an assistant on a few Tatum movies and a producer on this documentary called War Dog. A soldier, a soldier's best friend, which is no doubt where this movie was spawned because Tatum was also a producer on that. It is, it's really well directed, but it's a vanity project for Tatum for sure. Like There are a lot of shots of him just like looking out into the landscape or posing on his, the hood of his car, like th- that kind of thing. Like, I mean, he knows what makes him an interesting performer, I guess, but he's fantastic in this movie. Like one of the first things I ever saw him in was stop loss where he was also playing a soldier. This is like stop loss in reverse, but he has this charisma about him that I could watch him do kind of anything. And I was trying to think of other actors that, uh, that are like that. And I only came up with four. Those are Robert De Niro, Jennifer Jason Lee, Viola Davis, and Jonah Hill. I would watch do anything, and I, I think Shane Tatum is one of those people. He's so earnest and likable, but he's he, he does some pretty horrible things in this movie, but it's it's not really a family movie like it's portrayed in the trailer. It's comedic for sure, but it's a little rougher than that. Uh, Jane Adams has a really cool supporting part. Apparently, Corianka Kilcher was in it, which I didn't know until I, the credits were rolling. Uh, but the movie's kind of emotional but it's it's really just a lot of fun it's an easy crowd pleaser and one of the best dog movies i've seen and i'm giving it three stars so does that mean you're going to be first in line to go see the uh the adventure comedy with uh sandra bullock and channing tatum and uh and brad pitt i forget what it's called it's a I terrible don't. title it's like the most bland title ever i don't yeah. know it's like what, the trip or something you don't but, know what i'm talking about sure okay I'll, I'll look this up while Zach's talking. Zach, what would you think? Yeah, I mostly am in agreement with Todd. I, I give this movie three stars as well. Um, very different crowd, should we say, than the worst person in the world. Um, this was the church crowd. Uh, if I had a nickel for every mask that was worn in my theater, I'd still be broke. But uh, you know what? The Lost City, by the way. Oh, the Lost City, yeah. Wow. Yeah, great, great title. Um, anyway... Uh, you look at the, the poster for this movie and there's the formula right there. And you think Channing Tatum, a dog, that's all you really need, right? So I think in the hands of a hack director like Adam McKay, this would be you know a piece of shit movie, dog shit movie. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I think Channing Tatum must be an intelligent, thoughtful person and, and Reed Carolyn because this movie actually goes to places that you would not expect it to. Or it did not need to go, but you're glad it did. 
Um, for example, there is a scene that is set up totally for comic <laughs> purposes that involves Channing Tatum um, being blind and having and, and uh, having the dogs as a seeing eye dog, so he can get free a free hotel room, pawning it off, you know, so that he's a he's a war hero. And that scene would be played for total comedy in 99 out of 100 movies, and it is to some extent in this movie. But then something happens after uh, the dog escapes. The dog actually attacks someone, and I don't really want to say a whole lot else about what happens in that scene. But the movie takes it to a different level, which is a whole lot more thoughtful and relevant, culturally and politically relevant, than I was expecting at all for a movie about Channing Tatum and a dog. And um, I think this movie has a lot to say about trauma and about veterans who come back from the war not wholly intact. And what's kind of cool about the movie is that you could describe that about the Channing Tatum character and the dog. They are kind of suffering the same sort of trauma and PTSD. One thing I love about the Channing Tatum performance is that he never talks to the dog like it's a dog. He just talks to the dog like it's another person, which I think is really charming. Um, it's hard to watch this movie and not think about Magic Mike. I feel like maybe this is an easy thing to say. Maybe it's Monday morning quarterbacking, but I'm guessing Channing Tatum must have learned a lot from Steven Soderbergh. There's some real Steven Soderbergh vibes in this movie, the kind of naturalism, lingering shots, the kind of shaky cam, um, and the kind of interest in just these kind of quirky everyday people that they meet along the way on their journey. Um, I think this is a really interesting movie about uh, red states versus blue states, about military versus civilian life, about city versus urban. And again, uh, we watch a lot of movies on this podcast, like that stupid football movie, which I, in retrospect, I can't believe how close I was to giving that thumbs up as I was. I think Todd was right on that one. But that movie was so dumb and so shallow and so vain. And this movie is a crowd pleaser and it's about a cute dog and it's about a relationship between human and dog. But I think it also says something about the world we live in. And I wish more movies did that. And I think it is possible to bridge the gap between art and commerce and also say something meaningful and important. So I give this movie three stars. It's not a great movie by any means, but it does kind of make you think. I guess it's like the Jim, Del Jim Valvano speech. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. And it makes you think. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's all you really need. There's also a great cameo in there that I had no idea that was going to be in there. I mean, it's great in my opinion, at least. I know oh, of course it is. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that was, I was thinking, oh, yeah, well, Todd's giving this movie thumbs up. Can I also just say <laughs> the dog acting was pretty incredible? Now, it's, it's, it's hard to have a bad dog performance, but I think the dog in this movie is really good. And I don't know how you would train a dog to be, like, vicious on the one hand, but then, I'm like, mopey. really... And yeah, and like mopey and sad and the other, yeah. it's that is impressive work. I mean, you know, we want to say Renata Rizvide or whatever for best actress. Let's give the dog an Oscar, okay? The dog, that was a challenging performance. And to not upstage Channing Tatum either. Nicely done. Yeah, Terry, you're going to love this movie. Oh, good, good. I plan on seeing it probably sometime this week. I'll report on it. Uh, next week but if I get to it by then. The scenes in Portland are interesting because like many movies... Is that where Kyrianga Kilcher was? I was, was she one of those two girls? I thought she was her his ex-wife, but maybe I have that wrong. I'm not sure. Um, okay, I, yeah, I have no idea. I, she's <laughs> first billed in the movie as someone named Nikki, but I don't know who that is. I think <laughs> it might have been be one of those two girls. Maybe. I, thought, I don't know. But uh, this movie, like many movies allegedly set in the Northwest, uh, gets Portland all wrong. 
I mean, it gets the characters right, but the geography is very wrong. It's like he gets on the St. John's Bridge and then goes to like the Belmont District and then he's downtown. Like, come on. It's very inconsistent. Yeah, I'm pretty also, sure they weren't actually in Lakewood, but they they did show the yeah. entry sign and that's, that I've seen a lot. So, I mean, they, they actually were there at some point. <laughs> I also have to say I was able to identify the episode of Grey's Anatomy that was featured in this movie. I'm that's, not, not proud to say. That's it was next level degenerate right there. Season five episode, yeah. All well, right. Hopefully that didn't deter you from seeing it, Terry. It, it's it's a good movie. <laughs> also, it do, it did make me think that uh, the characters in the worst person in the world didn't own dogs, which makes me like them even a little less. Well, they, they all lived in like lofts, so you don't really have dogs in the when you live there. I'm sure someone in Norway has a dog somewhere. It's possible. It's possible. All right. So three stars from both of you guys on Dog. Again, that's in theaters everywhere. Make sure you go see that one, too. All right. Power rankings time. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Somehow I won for a second straight time. So I got to pick the power rankings again. And... I don't know. We'll see how this goes. I think it turned out to be kind of fun. Uh, we are going with the worst Oscar nominees of all time. And the point of this isn't necessarily to think, oh, this is the, the worst possible thing that could have been nominated for an Oscar. It's the did their career live up to being considered an Oscar nominated career? Um, now, some of us looked primarily at acting. I, we did kind of open it up to everything, so there might be a little bit of everything thrown in there. But yeah, worst careers that could be that are considered Oscar nominated is kind of a, a better way of putting this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. It's a weird way of putting it still, but okay. It, it is. I, I don't know if there is a good way to put it. Actually... Adam, worst Adam post Oscar nominated careers like that that's kind of the way I was looking at it yeah that's a good way to say it Adam had a good way of phrasing it when I gave it to him and he said Which you gave um, him the wrong category yeah I told him actors only so he's going only with actors but he said actors whose career didn't live up to being Oscar nominated but that but that makes it seem final like their career is over like all, like, haven't lived yeah, I, the people I, I have are active. Still. I also didn't necessarily consider it all post nomination. I mean, I, I some of them they're before they were doing terrible stuff too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this. Uh, Todd, you go first. Uh, my uh, number five is the Oscar nominated screenwriter of <laughs> Flight, and that is John Gatons. I think I mentioned him last week, actually. Uh, but he, uh, like, Flight's not a good movie, but it was nominated because no, there actually was, like, Paul Thomas Anderson was not nominated in favor of John Gaines. Like, that's that's ridiculous. But his post-Oscar-nominated uh, career includes stuff that is not original. Need for Speed. Flop. Kong Skull Island. Like, not got, not good. Power Rangers. Okay, that that's fine, but still, what are you doing? And his upcoming projects are Real Steel 2 and Aladdin 2. Like, what what that it's been 10 years since he got nominated and that's what he's done since as an oscar nominated screenwriter even before that he did summer catch hardball coach carter dreamer which is a horse movie that he also directed and the first real steel 
it's just bad. Like <laughs> nobody's gonna look at, at that guy and think like he's one of one of our uh, elite writers, and especially not for flight, but and definitely not his post Oscar career. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. All right. I'll go next. My number five. So as I went through my list, <clears throat> I, I tried to look at a few different things. Um, first, what I did is I went through like the major Oscar categories and picked one from each. So I have one that was a best actor nominee, one that was best actress, one supporting actor, one supporting actress, and one director. So those are my, those are the five that I have. Uh, and some had some pretty steep competition for those spots. Uh, the second thing I look for is I tried to stay away from like they were nominated for an extremely niche performance. And because of that, they haven't had much of a career. So like, like Barkat Abdi, I didn't include someone like that because I mean, it, yeah, it's not fair. It's not fair to include someone, someone like that, who is such a niche actor, who's going to have trouble finding another niche that's going to um, show off who he is. So I stayed away from, I tried to stay as much away from stuff like that as possible. So with that said, number five, it, it, it goes into that territory a little bit, but I think this one's fair. Uh, this is my best supporting actor nominee that made my list. Um, and it's Haley Joel Osment. Now, oh, I know, I know, I know. But he ha he was like the thing in the in the nineties and the early two thousands. Even you you throw in like AI and stuff like that, and everyone's like, this kid is is more than just a child actor. He is an actor. And then he grew up, and no one really ever heard from him again. And I'm looking at what else. I mean, all he does now is like voice work and that's it. Uh, he pops up every now and then. Kevin as, Smith movies, right? Yeah, he pops and and more times than not, he's popping up as a cameo of himself. But um, it, it was something where I going with the child actor getting nominated is kind of kind of that that niche performance thing. But I feel like Haley Joel Osment is different because he was supposed to be the next great thing and it just all fell apart. And so he's number five on my list. You, you love like AI. So, I mean, it's like, I mean, yeah. he's done some stuff, but AI was like his last thing. That was like the last thing he did. I mean, I'm looking here after yeah, that. I agree. It was, he I had him in the honorable mention. So, okay. Okay. It's a tough one to go with, and you could kind of say it wasn't his fault because he just got old and was no longer the cute kid anymore. But he was supposed to be more than that, and he wasn't. So, all right, Zach, number five. Yeah, this is a tough list because I feel like it's just kind of mean spirited to go after <laughs> actors. I mean, it's not Harley Joel Osment's fault that he grew up. I mean, come on. Like, I know. I know that one was kind of that was that was the toughest one to do, but. Especially kid actors, too. Like, you could say the same thing for Covajene Wallace. I mean, has she done anything? Like, I mean... She was in that Annie movie. Yeah, but the, when she was a kid, though, like, it, that would that was like Haley Joel Osment in AI. I mean, that came right but out. But Haley Joel Osment's still acting. I don't think she is, is she? I haven't seen her in anything. But then th then you can make the case that she's even up. more egregious. egregious she's in... Um, she is... She's um doing some TV stuff right now. What All is right. she in? I like my pick. 
I'm going to go okay. with my pick because it's going <laughs> to piss you guys off. My pick is the Academy Award winner of Best Original Screenplay in 1995, Christopher McQuarrie, uh, for The Usual Suspects. Uh, okay, name good movies. That let's let's read the list of uh, he's the last three Mission Impossible movies. Are they good movies though? Are are we are we saying the way of the gun? This is this is Oscar caliber writing from someone who won an Oscar. Yeah, you don't even like the movie you won for. How are you gonna like? Are they better than his Oscar nominated or Oscar winning screenplay? Let's look at some of the other ones that you guys are convening. No, I'm I'm asking that as a that's a real question. Like, do, do you think his his Mission Impossible movies are better than the Usual Suspects? Uh, what from a screenplay level? No. It, what they're better films, yes, but probably not screenplay. But if we're just talking screenplay, I mean Valkyrie, The Tourist, Jack Reacher, Edge of Tomorrow, and oh, Jack Valkyrie's the amazing. Player. Those are I'm great just, action movies. He's made a lot of money, is what you're saying. I'm just saying that he has made a lot of money, and he's and he's still working, which is something to be said. But uh, he won an Oscar. He he should be doing um, Oscar caliber work, and I don't see him getting another Oscar nomination again over the course of his life. And if that's going to be the the bar that we set, I feel like it's only like that was my interpretation. Old, like he he was a young Oscar winner. Like I mean, he easily could do this once Tom Cruise is done making Mission Impossible. I just listen. I hate sellouts. This is a guy who won an Oscar. He could have parlayed his Oscar. This is really really where I was going with this list because I didn't I didn't want to pick on actors that much. I wanted to pick on people that won the Oscar or had the name recognition and then used it in not very interesting ways. So for me, yeah. having a career that amounts to just writing the Mission Impossible sequels should not be how you use your Oscar credibility he made his his next movie was his directorial debut that he wrote like it was a flop but i mean it's actually pretty good so he did use it in a way that you're supposed to i i disagree and i really just wanted to say it because i wanted to see you guys reaction (laughs) well there you go you saw saw the reaction he's only number five i mean there are four four worse offenders all right well let's keep going todd number four uh my number four is a tie because they both were nominated for the same screenplay. And then it's Paul Weitz and Chris Weitz who were nominated for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay for Writing About a Boy. And since then, they've worked together a few times, but they really do their own things. But their their combined post-Oscar-nominated career is pretty bad. Like, they have The Golden Compass. We have In Good Company. Some Mandy Moore all, movie called American Dreams. movies in the Mission Impossible sequel. Cirque du Freak, The Vampire's Assistant, which I think was a John C. Riley vampire movie. Uh, Bean <laughs> Flynn, Grandma, Bel Canto, I've never heard of. Kevin Hart's Fatherhood, Cinderella, and The Mountain Between Us. And that, that's what they've done since they got nominated for an Oscar 20 years ago. Uh, like, uh, the highlights are probably, they did a rewrite of Rogue One, or one of them did. And they, they like, developed Mozart, Mozart in the Jungle. But they don't really work together anymore at all. But uh, they, maybe they should if they should actually be working at all. But they shouldn't. So, yes, Paul Weitz and Chris Weitz are bad. And they are number four. Nice. Nice. All right. I, I made a mistake on my next one. But I'm just going to go with it anyways because I don't have a better option. Uh, number four is is my best. It was my best actress submission. But really, it was... She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but she almost was nominated for Best Actress this year, which is why I thought of it in Best Actress, and that's Jennifer Hudson. Um, I always thought that her win for Dreamgirls was 
bizarre because she won really for one song and that was it. I've never considered her necessarily that good of an actress. And I think her post dream girls career kind of showed that and how she couldn't really find another great role until she played Aretha Franklin, which is kind of a role she was born to play uh, because it showed it allowed her to act through her music again, because that's where she's best. Um, if you try to get her to do something that's not her music, that's not acting through music, she's not that great. And she's not that great in Dreamgirls outside of when she's singing and I'm telling you. And I think that's why she's got, she hasn't done a ton. She hasn't done much and she hasn't like caught on as this like movie star. It's because that she's only good, a good actress when she's acting through her music. So number four on my list is Jennifer Hudson. Yeah, well, she's had some of those roles where she was supposed to uh, be really good, like The Secret Life of Bees, or I'm trying to find the title. It was uh, Winged Creatures. I remember that being like a hyped up movie when it came when it was coming out. But like, yeah, she hasn't done a whole lot since then. But I mean, it's a good pick that she she did not try to be uh, an actress after that necessarily. She had a couple of roles and that's it. All right, Zach, number four. All right, this was the one I mentioned last week. I'm going to put it here. I'm going with Paul Haggis. Uh, I You can make the case that, uh, you know, um, Letters from Iwo Jima, which he was an, uh, nominated for the next year, was a good movie, um, and Flies of Our Fathers, and Casino Royale. But then since then, it's been uh, Quantum of Solace, which nobody likes. And the Valley and- Villa is good, dude. I still have not seen in the Valley of Ella, so I'll, I'll believe you, especially since it's named for one of your annual awards. But sure. let's really look at the 2010s, okay? The next three days. That's a great movie. Like, is it? I've never seen three it. Three and a half stars. So okay, this well, is the I'll issue with it. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> Third person, which universally panned. Yeah, that, sounds bad. Uh, gold, also something universally pretty panned. I and like then that. something called 5B, which I've, I have not seen, but it's a documentary. But again, we're talking about someone who uh, was nominated for multiple Oscars, won Oscars, um, had a real run for three years. This needs to be a more prodigious output. And uh, okay, the next three days, great movie. That was, again, 12 years ago. And what's this guy doing? I don't know. And now he's, I I think the worst part about Paul Haggis and the reason why his name was one of the first I thought of is he is, he's identified now with Crash and he's identified with a type of filmmaking that is no longer in vogue. Um, The convenient contrivance of, you know, uh, trying to put all the loose ends together in a story. When we say a Paul Haggis movie, we kind of know what we're talking about and it's not a good thing. So he is number four on my list. Okay. I didn't. I didn't consider him, but um, I know you are less of a fan of some of his stuff than I am. So yeah, I mean, I I like his some of his post Oscar stuff, but I mean, if you haven't seen it and you've only seen like third person, then that's yeah, I can see why you would think like yeah. He has fallen off recently. I will say. I mean, and listen, like, did the next three days get great reviews? I mean, I, I could be wrong in that, but I'm I'm going off of general impressions. Okay, like, I mean, even some of McQuarrie's work, like Jack and the Beanstalk, was not a terrible movie, but it just didn't get good reviews. So, personal preferences aside, I'm kind of looking at the broader parameters of the career. All right, Todd, number three. Uh, my number three. One best actress, I believe it's now seven years ago, and that is Brie Larson. Uh, since then, she has what? done absolutely nothing good at all. Uh, so, yeah, 
starred in a Marvel movie, but okay. Yeah, very, very bad Marvel movie. One of the worst. Uh, so she is Free Fire, which I don't think anybody actually saw. Another Kong Skull Island uh, mention here. The Glass Castle, which is an absolute flop. Unicorn Store was a direct-to-video movie. Some movie called Basmati Blues, which has a 3.6 on IMDb. Obviously, Captain Marvel and Endgame are very bad movies. Just Mercy, she's okay in, but the movie is also just okay. And But the Between Two Ferns movie. Uh, she could go down eventually as one of the worst actresses to ever win an Oscar. And I, I mean, and I, I don't see her pulling herself out of that hole. I, I don't think she's capable of it. She, yes, because by the time you're 30, your career has already been decided for you. It's been seven years and she hasn't had one other decent role. Wow. You're blind, I, dude. I don't, I don't understand this list then. I'm, I'm lost. So I feel what, like she's what, in what, the what, She's in the cultural consciousness. Like at least Haley Jalosky. Yeah. Okay. You, you make somewhat of a point there, but it, okay. How about this? Let's <laughs> use Captain this Marvel as a, is a bad movie. It's a genuinely bad and she is awful in it. And that that's oh, the problem with the movie. The, uh, let, okay. Here is, this should be the threshold for how we do because clearly we're on three different spectrums here. Do these people get invited back to the Oscars? I don't think either of my people have been invited back to the Oscars. Brie Larson will get invited back to the Oscars. Paul Haggis was literally nominated the next year. Oh, I mean, like today, though, like in 2022. Invited back as a guest when they're not nominated? Yeah. Do, do they show up at the Oscars? No. I don't think Brie... Haley Joel Osment shows up at the Oscars. Right. Brie Larson. If Paul you Haggis could see... and Chris McCrory are winners. They probably would. Brie Larson probably goes to the Oscars. That would immediately disqualify her, no matter how underwhelming her her post room filmography. Is, but that was did. the point of this list, right? <laughs> their post career did not live up to their nomination. I disagree. I, I disagree with that pick. But I I, I guess I, if you're if you're ranking it purely on preference of movies, then I understand. That's just not the way that I did the list, though. You did just I, did with Christopher <clears throat> Corey. That was totally preference of movies. But he those aren't Oscar movies, though. That would be like neither are Endgame and Captain Marvel or Unicorn Store or Kong Skull Island or Free Fire. I or understand. I understand okay, the pick. I understand the pick, but to say that her career has already been defined and she is going to go down that's as why one of the worst when, when you best said it was when you time. said Adam's definition was your definition, which was that their career didn't live up to it. That's not the way it like it hasn't is the way I looked at it. I didn't look at the careers overall, so I wouldn't have picked any young people. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. okay. All right. My number three is another old person. Um, <laughs> uh, this person won Best Supporting Actress in the 80s, 1982. Um, and it might what? be a little bit of a, of a, of a, uh, it might I'm be a little bit you. of a niche pick because she's so short, but Linda Hunt is my pick. Um, nice. The, She's known oh, for like Linda Hunt makes a little more sense. Yeah. She's known for like two things since being uh, since winning the Oscar. And that's being the principal in kindergarten cop and playing the uh, the head of the office in NCIS Los Angeles. That is really all she's done of any note that she's anyone she's would recognize. Incredibles, I think. Wasn't she the the the, the Edith Head parody and the Incredibles? no that was voiced by Brad Bird. I think. 
we're talking about different people, I think. But go no, on. I know exactly who you're talking. Edna Mode, I think, is voiced by by Brad Bird. Maybe she just looks like Linda Hunt. She does. She looks she exactly does. like Linda Hunt. Okay. Because I, I mean, Linda Hunt is she's well, irrelevant. That should disqualify her to... from your list too. If people are are parodying her, then she's still in the cultural conversation. Well, no, she, that's because she looks just like Edith Head. And she's probably <laughs> making the ten million dollars a year how making come, some NCIS. How come sequel? we haven't had the Edith Head biopic starring Linda Hunt? I don't know. And it, Peter, it would it Peter would make Dinklage a lot of should sense. Be in it too. Anyways, Linda Hunt, uh, yeah, w- won the Oscar, and since then. Yeah, her her top credits on IMDb are the principal in Kindergarten Cop. Apparently, she was in uh, Lynch's Dune, and she was a voice in Pocahontas. She was in Ready to Wear. I remember her in the Altman movie Ready to Wear. I think this is a terrible pick. I think a lot of her career now is voice acting, and we shouldn't hold that against her. No, her career now is is being in NCIS Los Angeles, which yeah, that's a fine. Well. I guess yeah, this just that, goes that's back exactly to the issue of, what you want to attain when you are right. an Oscar winning actress. And I shouldn't be saying that if I'm going with Christopher McQuarrie, because at least he has visibility. So you're saying she has visibility, just not reputable visibility. Yes. OK, I see. All right. A little more sense. I still don't like the pick, though. And, and I think I think my my uh, visibility not being reputable for an Oscar winner is a little more understandable. And probably you could say is um, it would be widespread accepted. As opposed to yours. I agree. <laughs> well, tell us your next pick we're going to hate, Zach. Number three. Well, number three is the one that I, I feel I'm surprised it hasn't been mentioned. It's like probably the most famous case of someone winning an Oscar and it kind of ruining the rest of their life. And that's Tatum O'Neill. I mean, Tatum mm. O'Neill won an Oscar. Yes, she was in the Bad News Bears and Little Darlings, but her, her you know, professional and personal life uh, completely fell apart. I mean... Basically, her life became like Zendaya in Euphoria. I mean, she became a drug addict when she was a teenager. She was in the the Club 54 scene in Los Angeles. Absentee parents. I think the most what she's most well known for, besides her her tumultuous relationship with John McEnroe, is her relationship with Ryan O'Neal. Because they did a documentary, they did like a, a TLC, um, you know, kind of uh, re- reality show about how fractured their relationship was. Both of them were drug addicts, very turbulent family. So in a way, I really felt bad putting her on the list because it wasn't really her fault. She was a victim um, and she was an addict. But if we're going off of what this list was about, someone's career not living up to the expectation of them winning an Oscar, particularly someone as young and as some, <laughs> someone born into movie royalty as Tatum O'Neill, then she has to be probably number one. I just couldn't put her number one because it wasn't her fault. It's not like she was making bad movies. She's tried to resurrect her career. I, I believe she's been clean for a long time. She came out with a big autobiography about 10 years ago. So I feel bad for her, but you know, it's, it's, it's going off of what this list I think is about, sadly. That's why it's not fun poking, you know, going after actors. It wasn't her fault. It was the well, it was the seventies. Like that. <laughs> I actually think she's a great actress. I've seen her in a few things, and she does guest spots on TV. I think she's really good. Was wasn't she in Bad News Bears? Am I? Yeah. Do I have that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Little Darlings. I mean, she kind of did yeah. the like you know teenage you know uh, sex movies in the eighties a little bit, but like I'm looking at her list here. I mean, she was. You know, she was in. Uh, she was a realtor, and this is forty. I mean, this is these are the kind of roles that she gets now, which is really sad because she's obviously talented. It's one of the great Oscar-winning performances of all time. And I actually read her autobiography and really liked it. 
All right. All right. Todd, number two. At least two. I didn't get any objection from you guys. I'm glad. That, That's a victory. Uh, yeah. That, can't really object to that one. Uh, my number two is Arthur Hiller, who oh, is the director one. of Love That's Story. That's a really good one. Um, so since then, he's made like a number of like Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movies. Uh, he uh, the, the best movie he made was probably The In-Laws. But he directed The Babe, which is the Babe Ruth movie with John Goodman. Um, <laughs> he directed National Lampoon's Pucked, which stars John Bon Jovi and Carrie Elwes. Which, I don't know what screams great Oscar-nominated director than those actors. He was never nominated for another award for directing in his in his life. He's now dead. But, except for, he was nominated for this movie, the, an Alan Smithy movie, Burn, yes. Hollywood Burn, which yes. was nominated for Nine Razzies. Which stars Joe Esterhaus also, and, and Ryan O'Neill is also in that. And he was also nominated for a Stinker's Bad Movie Award for Worst <laughs> Sense of Direction, Stop Them Before They Direct Again. I think that defines this list if they were nominated for that award. Cucked <laughs> is the only thing he did after, and that has like a two on IMDb. So Arthur Hiller, I think, is undisputed. It should be on everyone's list. That is a great pick. 100%. That is what this list should be about. Arthur Hiller, you're right. That guy tanked the rest of his career. And I think you could make the case that maybe Love Story was not, maybe it didn't deserve the kind of praise that it got back in 1970. So Probably, maybe it was yeah. always a hack to begin with. But to be to direct an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn, which by the way, can we come to stable that movie? I've always wanted to watch it. I mean, there are legendary stories about it. I think we got to do it. I I I want to do that movie so bad. You guys should watch the, the the trailer for it too. It just looks amazing. All right, all right. On to me, number two. This was possibly the most uh, the the most competition for this spot on my list, and it was the spot to go to best director. And the one I went with, I think you really can't argue with this, because after his Oscar nominated work as director and writer he got two oscar nominations for this he basically stopped working and that's chris noonan uh oh. who was the writer director of babe um since then he hasn't wrote a thing uh, he has yet to write anything since he was oscar nominated writer for babe then for directing he had before babe he had done like some shorts and some tv movies he did a vietnam miniseries uh babe was his first theatrical release then he didn't direct another thing for 11 years and that was miss potter with renee zellweger and since then he's directed three tv episodes and that's it oscar nominated writer director chris noonan he just stopped working so he's number two on my list That is a, a good a good pick, an interesting way to take it that I wasn't thinking. I would have I would have never thought of him, but I like the pick. I mean, he just didn't do anything. How do you just not do anything? I've never see the thing is I never associate uh, Babe with Chris Noonan. I associate it with George Miller because he yeah. directed the sequel, and he's just a more well known figure. And he was he got a an Oscar nomination alongside Chris Noonan for the screenplay. But Noonan was the one that directed the first one. So, and he's the one that got Oscar nominated for directing it, which yeah. is a weird nomination in yeah. itself. But all right, Zach, number two. Okay, so uh, I also went with the director for number two. I When you were talking, I thought you were going to go with this director. 
Um, this director was nominated uh, in uh, 1992 uh, for Scent of a Woman as director, and it is Martin Brest. Martin Brest, uh, great last name, uh, did some stuff uh, prior to Scent of a Woman. Uh, he most notably directed Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run, two classic movies. Um, but since uh, Scent of a Woman, which is also a movie, I don't think anyone is regretting not winning Best Picture. Um, he did uh, two classic stinkers. And we're not talking just bad movies, like classic stinkers. Um, now, the one that most people will identify is Geely. I don't think Geely is that terrible of a movie. I agree with Ebert. It actually has some interesting dialogue in it. It just got unfairly uh, put in with the J-Lo Benefer romance. By the way, were they, well, am I crazy or were they, at the, were they at the Super Bowl together? Yeah. That wild. They're back. They're, you, they're back. Did, did either of you guys see Marry Me? I, I really kind of want to see Marry Me. Although I, I feel like I've yet. seen it because I saw the trailer so many times. The other movie, which is a legitimately awful movie, is Meet Joe Black. And Meet oh, Joe yeah. Black is a movie that I would be willing to, not really willing to rewatch, but it is legendarily bad in part because it is so long. Um, it is so long that I think it's still playing in parts of the world. It just hasn't ended. Um, and it it has a scene that was ruthlessly, although very fairly, mocked on social media in the last few years when people rediscovered this movie. There's a scene when Brad Pitt gets hit by a car. Have you guys seen this scene from Meet Joe Black? That is all it was all over TikTok, like I would say 2019, because of how horribly, hilariously bad it is. Um, Martin Brest has not done anything since then. Uh, nothing. Geely is the last thing he did. He was railroaded out of Hollywood. He is still alive. I double-checked that. I think he's still alive. And, uh, yeah, I'm kind of amazed he's not my number one. Number one's even worse. But Martin Brest is the reason we made this list. I think all of our number twos are just great examples of why this list needs to exist. We might all have the same number one, though, if you guys are going in the way I'm going. There's well, we'll one, see. There's one that sticks out. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Todd, number one. This, this is more me. fun when we don't argue. Oh, okay, sorry. Go ahead. It's Monique. Monique. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I was thinking about Monique. Yeah. Like, when she was, like, sweeping award season in 2009, we all thought, this is huge. She's going to have a different career. And I don't think she saw it that way because she hasn't done anything interesting since. Like, she has Step in the Movie, 3.8 on IMDb, Blackbird, 5.6 on IMDb, Interwoven, 6.0, Almost Christmas, 6.1, and that's it. Like, I haven't even heard of any of these things she's done in the last 13 years. Like, her nomination could go down as one of the most head-scratching in the history of the Oscars. And, and, and she won. The only thing she's done that's interesting kind of is, like, she was playing Ma Rainey in a D. Rees TV movie about Bessie Smith, where she got nominated for an Emmy. But that's the only thing of note that she has done. That, or the only thing I've actually heard of. That's been 13 years. And she was actually making movies, bad movies, but she was making movies before that. So she, I think it made her career worse. Yeah, I, I considered Monique. I didn't end up putting her on the list um, because I thought I'd heard there had been some stuff where she had kind of unfairly been blackballed from being cast in different things after after Precious. And I I didn't want to I didn't want to go down that road. I felt like that was kind of going down a road of of, you know, someone like Barkhad Abdi. Of the, there's a niche performance and there's some there's a reason behind why they haven't been. Uh, having a successful career since. 
Well, it's not a niche performance, though. I mean, it's, true, it's, true, it's but really I, great performance. I, 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 what I'm saying is I put it kind of into that category of there's a reason why there hasn't been. Um, well, I don't know anything about that. I, I'd, I thought I'd heard something about that. Zach, does that sound familiar? No. No? Okay, then I'm just uh, completely off base. You uh, Maybe. I, I, I just haven't heard that. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Then that then that's a really good pick because that was one that was on my radar too. Mm. Okay, number one on my list, and um, this is my my best actor pick, and I'm going with uh, Tom Hulse, Mozart mm, himself. Nice. Um, before Amadeus, he was known as the kid, the 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 baby face kid in animal house and then he just might like, still be known as that he uh, he might still be known as that yeah uh, he did looking at this he did a movie called those lips those eyes and then three episodes of saint elsewhere as john doe number 12 before he got amadeus then he gets amadeus and it's like which is a brilliant performance i think he should have won over f marie abraham for that performance who also was is an honorable mention for this list. Um, but he from there it's like he tried to be a thing and nothing ever quite worked. Uh the most notable thing he did since is he was the voice of Quasimodo in the Hunchback of Notre Dame Disney movie. That's it. And he hasn't worked since 2008. So I mean talk about a a career defining performance and a a tour de force performance that turned out to be nothing, and that's Tumbles in Amadeus. That's another very young person, but yeah, I mean, you're you're right. He hasn't really done anything, and even the stuff he does, I don't even remember him in these movies, like Stranger Than Fiction and Jumper. I remember him in Stranger Than Fiction. And, he is the uh, he's his therapist. Yeah, that's it. Good pick. Yeah. I like Terry. The Terry is going the obscure route. I, I just I have not thought about Chris Noonan or Tom Hulse at, as much in my lifetime as the last twenty minutes. So, well, yeah, well that, done. I, I kind of went through and tried to find the people like, oh yeah, I haven't heard from them in forever. And there's a reason why. So, all right, Zach, number one. Yeah, I went the more crash and burn route, like ah. Martin Bress and Tatum O'Neill. You can't say Paul Haggis again. You already mentioned. I Crash. wish I could say Paul Haggis. I'm actually. <laughs> I thought I've thought of a few that I didn't even think about since we started recording. I'll put them in my honorable mentions, though. I'm shocked that Todd didn't go with this one, seeing as it is the director of his number one movie of all time. Um, but yeah. we have to go with Michael Cimino. I mean, that's the obvious pick. How how does this not get on anybody's radar? Um, Michael Cimino uh, was the golden boy of Hollywood. He directed Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Uh, he was the talk of the town, won multiple Oscars for a great movie that holds up really well, and then made Heaven's Gate. Not as bad as people say it is. It's kind of like Gigli. It, gets this, it has this horrible reputation, but it's actually, in a way, a movie that was trying to be a revisionist Western and revisionist Westerns were kind of going out of style by 1980. You know, Reagan gets elected. We get fascists in the government and we're not into re revisionist Westerns anymore. I guess it's sort of a sad story with Chimino. According to his Wikipedia page, he was scheduled to work on the Pope of Greenwich Village, but got fired. He wanted to make a movie about Michael Collins, which did eventually get made with Liam Neeson, but he wasn't the director. He tried to make an adaptation of the Malraux novel, Man's Fate, never happened. 
Um, did a few kind of vanity projects in the 80s and 90s, but fizzled out and was just um, hamstrung by this reputation of being a perfectionist and being obstinate and difficult to work with that never uh, was, he was never able to, to break free of. And unfortunately, he died. But there is a truly, truly great documentary about Chimino and the making of uh, Gates of Heaven or Heaven's Gate, excuse me, not the Errol Morris documentary. I've actually shown it to my high schoolers, even though they've never heard of any of those movies. It's a great documentary about filmmaking and how you cannot be a tyrant as a filmmaker. You have to rely on editors to have a greater sense of vision to cut down your work so you don't have tunnel vision. I, I applaud Chimino. He made one of the great masterpieces. But again, this list should be the Michael Chimino list of Oscar winners whose career tanked afterwards. I mean, you could almost just name it. The this We've been trying to find the right name for for mm. how to describe this list. It's the Michael Chimino list. Yeah. You know, this, this, too. You know, this is my favorite this, Yeah. Well, yeah. but I like The Loss of Sexual Innocence. That was actually a cool movie. And then the one he did with the four cameras was kind of cool too. I so like that. That to me was like a good use of the Oscar cachet for doing like indie art projects that were maybe pushing the boundaries. Chimino did, you know, Chimino did nothing. I mean, the Sun Chaser, the Sun Chaser, yeah. And I think uh, Year of the Dragon, but well, yeah, uh, which which caused them to rename Red Dragon Manhunter because they didn't want to be associated with that movie. Yeah, I mean that's a great pick <laughs> when you have that kind of cachet. <laughs> All right, well, let's run down five to one and do honorable mentions after that. So, Todd, five to one. Number five, John Gatons. Number four, Paul and Chris Weitz. Number three, Brie Larson. Number two, Arthur Hiller. And number one, Monique. And my list, number five, Haley Joel Osment. Number four, Jennifer Hudson. Number three, Linda Hunt. Number two, Chris Noonan. Number one, Tom Hulse. Uh, number five, Christopher McCory. And I will just admit, I've thought of some that are probably more deserving than Christopher McCory. So <laughs> you, you, you guys are probably right. Number four, Paul Haggis. Number three, Tatum O'Neill. Number two, Martin Brest. And number one, Michael Cimino. All right, Todd, honorable mentions. Uh, the one Zach's going to love is Harold Russell, uh, who is nominated for uh, the oh, best of our lives. He didn't have hands. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> you can't blame know, the guy a... for not having hands. <laughs> He only made two movies since, and you know. Are you going to put that that lady who was in the Hawaii movie in 1966, and that was the only movie she ever did and got nominated for? Is that sure. also on your list? Uh, uh, my other, okay, I have some more. Uh, ben Zeitlin. Uh, That's a good one. Only made one movie. It was it, it was delayed like three years, and then it was awful. Apparently, called Wendy. Uh, Morton Tildum mm-hmm. uh, still really hasn't done a whole lot, and his screenwriter Graham Moore uh, has not done a single movie. He did that at uh, Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence movie Passengers. That was yeah, that's the yeah, only thing Morton Tildum has done. But his screenwriter had I know, he won an Oscar, and I don't think he's done anything since then. Uh, not as bad of a movie as people say. I actually, it it's Passengers. not a good movie, but it's it's a it's a very rewatchable Oscar nominated um, <laughs> movie. Uh, Cuba yeah. Jr. has has had some okay, but he has a lot of bad. Roberto Benigni, of course. Halle Berry uh, again, a couple good, a lot of bad. Adrian Brody only really is good in Wes Anderson movies. Amy Irving was nominated for a Razzie for the same movie she was nominated for an Oscar for. And I don't think she's really done anything of note since. Uh, Mira Sorvino doesn't really work anymore. Haley Joel Osment. Um, uh, Nia Vardalos also makes only oh, shit that's a now. One. That's a great uh, Lee, Lee Daniels uh, made one of the worst movies of all time called The Paperboy after he made Precious. Uh, 
and yeah, he's he's pretty bad. Lee Daniels, the Butler, not great either. And Kim Basinger probably could be the name of this list too. Mm. She's been. If in you're some, talking about post Oscar win, uh, that's that's fair. She was good in that Chris Evans movie, Cellular. <clears throat> oh, I completely forgot yeah. about that movie. That was a good really movie, Mitch underrated Basinger. movie. Yeah, that was a good it's one. It's a day spa. That's All like right. a classic early 2000s action movie. I we wish we easily had more deep dive that shit. Next I year. would. I mean, I don't know if any of us know that movie that well, but that is a fun movie. I, I miss movies. Yeah, though. I watched that a lot back when it came out. Yeah, it's that a, would it's be a fun that would be a fun nostalgia trip for sure. All right, uh, some of the ones I considered for best actor. Um, I, F. Murray Abraham was on my honorable mentions. Uh, Gary Busey, um, Edward James Olmos. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, kind of a, if you think about what he's actually done since Sling Blade, crazy? Yeah. he's, he's more been nominated being... for Oscars since then. Has he? He's the star of a show that is hugely okay. popular. Okay, that's true. All right. That's why he didn't actually get make my list. Anyways, um, I didn't really have any good ones for, for actress. Supporting actor, uh, ones that have already been said, and Michael Lerner. There's another good one. Mm. Who apparently is playing Louis B. Mayer in a movie coming out like this year, next year, about the first Oscars? Anyways, that sounds like a direct to like TNT movie or something, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Okay, uh, supporting actress. Some of the ones I had down here: Rosie Perez, um, yeah. Queen Latifah. Acting wise, not done a whole lot since since Chicago. Um, I don't think you can really blame June Squibb for not doing much just simply because of how old she is. But I mean, it's worth mentioning her again since we mentioned her last Titanic remake. Yeah. Yeah. Titanic remake. Um, And then uh, for director, some of the ones that have already been said, uh, the one that I almost put in over Chris Noonan was Peter Cataneo who directed the full Monty. Um, Oh, he's not done much of anything. Uh, I also had down John Madden, Lenny Abrahamson and Curtis Hanson. Curtis Hansen, he directed Eight Mile. Yeah, that was about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now for the impossible task of trying to predict Adam's list. Oh, I had honorable mentions. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Zach, go for it. Um, uh, some of them have already been mentioned, but um, I would Roberto, I would second Rivera Benini. That was the one that yeah. I thought of in the middle of the podcast. You could make the case for... Vlo- As a director or an actor, though? Or a writer? Both. Either. <laughs> um <laughs> You could make the case for Florian Hinkle von Donner's mark. The one mm. that I was originally going to put in my top five was Roland Jappy um, for the mission. Cause that guy has done total garbage since then. Um, and yeah. I just, I did want to bring up what was our theory about songs? Because there have been uh, several uh, songs whose artists have not lived up to their potential, namely Berlin. And how about Kenny Loggins? How about six mafia? Uh, the, well, I think <laughs> oh, in some yes. circles they're still pretty popular. How about Debbie yeah, Boone? Juicy for, J is still doing his thing. Debbie Boone for you light up my life. Did Isaac Hayes really do a whole lot after Shaft? I don't. I, I don't really know, but I, he de- definitely had a, a great career on South Park. The last thing I'm going to leave you with: anybody and everybody associated with the movie The Artist have not oh. done anything since. Oh then. well, yeah, no one's done anything. Beja was in the past, right? Yeah, Beja. Yeah, she was in the past. Two years later, even Uggy the dog has really have not heard from him at all. What? what what's? 
Dujardin's biggest thing, he was in Wolf of Wall Street. Like that yeah, was his right. biggest two thing seconds. since. Yeah. And uh, I want to say he wasn't he in like Inglorious Bastards too? No, that was before. That was Never before. Mind. I thought there was something like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, then I think he went back to just making like French films, but. Well, what? Well, uh, has Navishis made a movie with like Sean Penn, right? But I don't know. I'm. But yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, I, I was thinking about uh, Dijardin as well. I'm looking up Hasnavicius. Let's see here. What has he done since the artist? Load faster. Load I like faster. a remake of an old movie. I, I forget what it was called. I also uh, went with Jay Davidson from The Crying Game. Yeah, I thought about that one too. But again, it's not really fair. I mean, I don't know. So, Hasnavicius, uh, he directed a movie called The Search in 2014. That was it. Um, and uh, in 2017, a movie called Godard Mon Amour. And in 2020, The Lost Prince. And that's it. That's all he's done. He's got a couple movies in the in uh, that are waiting to come out. But and Jay Davidson has one movie since uh, since the Crying Game. Stargate. But see, that's that's one of those niche things. So yeah, I didn't go there. Yeah. All right. I agree. But you Adam's went there with, list. With, with Linda Hunt. But true. But I think that's a little less. I mean, she's short. She's. I, I looked up. She's four foot nine. It's not like she's not that like, short. Yeah, it's not that short. I mean, that's like my mother-in-law short. So, I mean, she could have done something. Um, she was in Ready to Wear, that uh, that Altman movie. Another movie that gets trashed. Not a bad movie. She was one of the designers in that movie. Along okay. with Sally Kirkland, who I was also thinking about putting on this list. All right. Well, let's get into Adam's list here. So Todd and I were talking. We have decided that uh, when, when it comes to guessing Adam's list, it impossible. is now okay to give zero points. Like if none of us get anything, zero points can be awarded. Okay. And then and then whoever uh power rankings goes to whoever has has uh not chosen it the most recently. So we'll go with that. All right, Todd, what is your prediction for Adam's list? Number five, Halle Berry, number four, Healy Joel Osment, number three, Pat Morita, number two, Monique, and number one, Cuba Gooding Jr. All right. I really hate my list, but we're going to go with it. Number five, Queen Latifah. Number four, Gabourey Sidibe. Uh, number three, Kovanjane Wallace. Number two, Yalitza Aparicio. And number one, Cuba Gooding Jr. Talk about a niche performance. Yalitza Aparicio. Yeah, yeah. She, I had her number five on my list. All right. Zach. Yalitza Aparicio, number five. Number four, I went with, with Alec Baldwin. I just feel like he could put Alec Baldwin on there for some reason. Number three... Monique, number two, Adrian Brody, and number one, Mickey Rourke. Ooh, that's a good one. No, oh, it's a terrible one. I'm pretty. I don't believe it, but I feel like Adam could put that on the He's list. He's having Pat Morita on there. You know he is, right? I don't know All if right. he knows who that is. Here we go. Honorable I'm mentions. Sure he's seen the Karate Kid a million times. Pat Morita's huh. actually had a decent career, though. I mean, all right. Not whatever. post. Like he's, I mean, I don't know if he lived that much longer. He was in the sequels. I think that counts for something. All right. Honorable mentions on Adam's list. Barkat Abdi for Captain Phillips. Uh, Elliot Page for Juno. I thought about putting that one on my list too. Or at least an honorable that's... mentions. Uh, Patricia Arquette for Boyhood. That's not bad, Maybe. actually. 
uh, Judd Hirsch for Ordinary People, who apparently is still alive, which we keep on talking about every time that uh, the Uncut Gems is brought up. Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> John Travolta for Mr. Saturday Night. Uh, Jackie Earl Haley for Little Children. That's a good one. Mr. Uh, Saturday Night was not... Or that was Saturday, not... That was Mr. Saturday, David Saturday Night Fever. I think... Or, oh. David Paymer was nominated for Mr. Saturday Night, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know which one he actually meant, but okay. <laughs> John Travolta's had a pretty good career. Yeah, like hopefully it's not Maybe John he meant both of them. I don't know. Okay. Number five on his list is Dan Aykroyd for Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, would what? never think of this actor as an Oscar nominee. Come on, He's been in several movies I've enjoyed since the nomination. In the big picture of things, his career will be known for SNL and Ghostbusters. <clears throat> and on this podcast for Sergeant Bilko. Um, yeah, of course. Number four, Halle Berry, Monsters Ball. If you look at her filmography after Oscar win, it's clear there's not there's a lot of poor role choices. She's good in the X Men movie and love that she's in John Wick, but those are the standouts. Let's uh, let's forget about Catwoman, Die Another Day, and movie movie forty three. Number three, Todd's gonna love this one. Matt Dillon for Crash. Um, what? there's. There's something about Terrible Matt, thing. unlike Mary. Matt has an unusual career. He's been in a lot of film, uh, but I can't recall ever seeing Oscar-nominated Matt Dillon uh, attached to any of them. I think the years before the Oscar nomination were better for him than the years that followed. The house that Jack built. Uh, yeah, I, I knew <laughs> yeah, you'd bring no that kidding. up. <laughs> uh, number two, Haley Joel Osment for The Sixth Sense skyrocketed into stardom and forgotten just as fast the early 2000s belonged to Haley with six Sense, ai kingdom hearts video game franchise on his resume but if you take out the six Sense out of his filmography he really doesn't have anything that stands out as great maybe his early voice work as chip in beauty and the beast the enchanted christmas wow. okay um and then he said uh Oh, uh, he said Meryl Streep for anything. Let's all stand for an undeserved round of applause. I don't get that joke, but okay. Number one on his list is Mickey Rourke. Um, he said, this is a hard one to make my number one choice. As I looked at all the different nominees, Rourke, Rourke's <clears throat> career kind of just sta- sticks out. He had some promising work at the beginning, but Poor Life Choices had a downward spiral on his career. The Wrestler is one of my top ten movies of all time, and his performance is amazing. However... The rest of the filmography is a mess. Side note, he is 6-0-2 in his boxing career, so I hope he doesn't um, he doesn't hear this because he could knock me out. All right, I got nothing. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I got two. I win. How many did you get? Well, I got one, but come on. I, I got to win that. He got the yeah, number one. That was, that was out of nowhere, right, though. But I think Mickey, that was impressive, though. I mean, who would have predicted Mickey? No one predicted Mickey. Where his name wasn't even brought up as a potential. Which two did? Which two did you get, Todd? Halle Berry. Got, and Halle Berry. And, yeah. I mean, I could get the point, but you could pick the category. I think I get both. I won. I. I every but number real... one should trump everything else. But that wasn't especially your a crazy one. number one. Usually, usually it's how many we get, and then the tiebreaker is is what position we get. That's dumb. it. Should be a tiered system, that, that, especially with an, a pick like Mickey Rourke. That 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 is a that is a heck of a pick. I I, plus, I agree with Todd, Todd. Let's go. Todd has to double us. I mean, come on. I, I how about how about Zach gets the point? Todd picks the category. No, I don't, I don't want to pick the category. All right, then Todd gets both. the point. Zach. Each of I you get we, a half about, a point. I don't know. 
That'll get me off a half a point. There we go. Let's do it. Each of you get a half a point. But I choose the category. And Zach, Zach picks the category. Fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Todd just wants to be off a half a point. <laughs> I'm now at 38. Zach is at 23 and a half. Terry's at 22. And Adam still has a point. We should just split up Adam's point and give us both a whole point. There we go. Adam loses his point. You each get a whole point. I like that. Because Mickey Rook is a terrible pick. <laughs> it is. I mean, but that's why it was a great pick on my end, because no one else predicted that. I mean, it's not that bad of a pick. He hasn't really done anything in the last last bunch of years. But we didn't even bring him up as a potential name. It's true. It's true. We did not bring him up. We You I saved mean, was, him. And, and remember, we were saying, oh, Adam's list is going to be so fun because no one's going to predict it. I mean, this was like an and amazing. Three of the five this we is got. Probably the most <laughs> impressive pick that I've ever had on an Adam list. And I don't know Adam the way that you guys know. I just think it's clearly this is the closest I'm ever going to get to a win. So, you know, I'm like, uh, I'm like uh, you know, um, uh, when uh, Olivia Coleman won an Oscar and said, we know this is never happening again. So let's just enjoy it. <clears throat> All right. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Todd's hosting trivia, which means he got to pick stuff for Zach and I to watch. Um, I'm going to go first. Todd had me watch uh, a movie off his top 10 list from last year. Uh, it's Zola. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good pick. This, this is quite quite a trip in so many different ways um yeah it's a story based on a twitter thread which is uh, is the part i love the most based on a true story told through twitter thread of um two young uh strippers who get mixed up in some some really crazy stuff um and uh and how they get out of it it stars Taylor Page, Riley Keough, uh, Nicholas Braun, and um, Coleman Domingo, who is insane and shows that awesome. he, yeah, he he needed a Best Supporting Actor nomination or at least some love for something for this because, my word, he's putting in some great work all over the place, and this was this might have been his best. Um, this movie, it, it's it's so strange, and the vibe of it is so weird. Um, but it just kind of brings you in and the whole time you're just like, what the hell is going on? The, did this, this actually happen really? Um, all the performances are amazing. Uh, and yeah, it, it's just, it's just a total crazy ride. That is, <laughs> it's awesome. Three and a half stars. I love this movie. It was so much fun. And I, yeah. Doesn't that movie like flip like twice or three times? Like once Jason Mitchell shows up, like it's a different movie. And then like, there's another, there's a few times where it's just like, man, this movie is batshit crazy. (laughs) And well, and I I love just the little moments where, where we get like those little snippets where it's like, yeah, this was straight out of the, the Twitter feed. Or it's like, it would be 48 hours before I heard his name. (laughs) (laughs) I, it's just, I I loved it. It was so much fun. 
can we can we also give some love to Nicholas Braun as Derek? I mean, that oh, is, I've said this several <laughs> times in the podcast. That's one of the great performances, one of the great breakout performances of 2021. Yeah, he would make my best supporting actor nomination list. I, I mean, I'd go Coleman Domingo over him, but yeah, he's well, he's ridiculous. Yeah. Ten years ago, that role was played by Adam Driver, by the way. Yes, one hundred percent. The only person who could play that role also is maybe Jamie Dornan. Because <laughs> that's kind of who he plays in Barb and Star. Is that what you're exactly, going with? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm going yeah, with. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what I watched. Great pick, Todd. I, and I, I, I have to, I give, I give you props for actually putting it on your top 10 list. Um, yeah, I know. Because Zach was not a huge fan of that movie. I, I mean, I thought it was amazing when I watched it in the theater. And then it doesn't have an ending. It just sort of stops. It's like we need and we need a third act. And I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where everybody loves to say, "Oh, it's based on a Twitter thread," and that's why they like the movie. But that was not the reason I did. I, I, that's I mean, true. I, it was something completely different, and it was. It's so. It's edited so furiously. Like I mean, there is never a moment where nothing is going on. Like there is so much going on in that movie. I need to watch yeah. it again. I've seen it just once, but it just needed to was... act. That was the problem. It, it had me. It had me hooked, and I was like, "Wait, this is over? Come on, we need something more." I was watching it, and I'm and my wife walked in like, "This movie's crazy," and she goes, "Just hearing that score being played, I can tell this movie's crazy because that score is only in a crazy movie." And yeah, all right. Zach. Way, shout out also to to best actor 2022 Oscars Coleman Domingo um, because he's also yeah. great on Euphoria as well. One of the best performers in, in that show. Nice. Uh, okay, so uh, I was assigned by Todd to watch his number six movie of 2020, Black Bear, um, which I wanted to see when it came out. I don't know why I kind of forgot about it. We're both big fans of Aubrey Plaza. Um, and Todd said this was her best. I actually went back and listened to that episode. Uh, Todd said this was the best performance of her career. This is a classic Todd movie in the sense that Todd loves Todd loves Mumblecore. Todd loves uh, the Duplass brothers. And I don't know if the Duplass brothers were involved in the making of this film. I don't know how they weren't. This is the most Duplass brothers movie ever. Um, it stars Aubrey Plaza as a filmmaker, and her name in the movie is Allison. And the first mm, 45 minutes of the movie are her kind of awkward encounter at this kind of remote lodge that she's staying at to get some creative ideas for her next movie. Along the way, she meets a couple. Um, and in the movie, they're played by Christopher <coughs> Abbott and Sarah Gaden, but Gaden, Gaden. Um, and they're having some, they're not married, but she's pregnant. And there's some very clear kind of sexual frustration and uh, flirtation going on. And then the movie uh, completely changes direction at about the 45 minute mark. And I really don't want to say too much more about it because I, I don't know. I still don't know really what happened. Um, yeah. All I'll say is that I don't like movies where you're watching it and you're not sure if someone is acting or if, if it's actual performance, like, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, okay. Here, good example. All right. The Clouds of Sea Maria. Did you guys ever see that movie with Kristen Stewart and Julia? And I 
guess what Todd did. They, like there are long stretches of that movie where like Juliette Binoche is saying lines and you don't know whether she's like rehearsing for a play or she's actually saying the thing that she's saying, which is kind of what Black Bear does. I don't like movies that do that. I think it's kind of just, I'm not, it, this is my biggest criticism of the movie. I'm not interested in the apparatus of cinema, okay? I'm not interested in deconstructing the different pieces of cinema from a postmodern standpoint, okay? I don't like Charlie Kaufman movies anymore. I thought this movie was decent up to the 45 minute mark. I felt like the rest of it was a total gimmick and it totally threw away what was an intriguing premise. I don't know the relationship between the two parts of the movie. Um, I was completely lost and kind of frustrated by the experience. I understand Todd praising Aubrey Plaza, although she is way, way better in uh, uh, Ingrid Goes West. Um, because this is a role where she just essentially screams a lot at the end of the movie. And I just, I did not like it at all. I give it two stars, which is generous because I thought the opening part was interesting. The rest of the movie was just batshit crazy. And I don't know why it did the thing that it had to do. I'm not interested in deconstructing cinema. This isn't grad school. I don't give a shit. Make a good movie. I think okay. that says more about your your uh, I, perhaps you know, your attitude towards grad school. <laughs> I mean, you dropped the mic. I don't know what I can say. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I can respect. And Terry is completely lost in this. Anyone who hasn't seen the movie doesn't know what we're talking about. It's I just like come on. You had an interesting setup there. Why do the thing that you had to do? I I, I I'm I'm lost and confused. But the, I'm sure the Duplass brothers liked it. Yeah, they were not producers on this. Somehow, yeah, because it does feel like a lot like Baghead or something like that. But... Yeah. I'm going to have to see this now. Yeah, I would, right. like, I would like to it's hear your opinion Hulu, on Hulu, right? Yeah, it's on one of them, I know. But we know that Terry's going to be right in the middle. So why even watch it? It's true. Christopher Abbott only makes these weird indie movies. He he's never going to have a starring role in like a, a studio movie. Like this is all he ever does, and he has a lot of them. And yeah, I think he's you, great. You said that in your review from a couple of years ago too. He starred in the biopic of Patriots running back James White. James White. Yeah, that's right. And um, for, yeah, he also looks really uncannily like uh, Sammy's younger brother. And so we were kind of like looking at like his hair and the facial hair, like we were like flinching our eyes a little bit. Is that Eric? Okay. That was a like really distracting over the course of the movie. Also, I was listening to Ebert. Uh, so I'm sorry. Second reference today to Reality Bites. I was listening to Siskel and Ebert's review of Reality Bites. I love Ebert's criticism in that movie that Winona Ryder is a bad filmmaker. <laughs> like, he doesn't like the movie because it's not realistic that she would be a good filmmaker. I have the exact same criticism for Black Bear. I don't think that Allison is that good of a filmmaker. So I don't like the movie. I am. That is unbelievable. <laughs> well, I mean, her, her ideas are kind of trite. <laughs> Been done before. D done that. So go on Hulu, watch Black Bear, and see which one you agree with, whether it's garbage or a top 10 movie of the year. It's not garbage. I just, uh, whatever. I don't know. A generous two-star movie? Yeah, it's I'm, a generous I'm pretty sure that's what that, that equates to garbage. Just stop watching it at the 45-minute mark, and then you'll give it two and a half stars. All right, Todd. Let's do trivia. All right, I only have one category, and I'm only doing it because Terry said he didn't know it was actually a thing, and that is the AFI Top 100 Songs list. Oh, <laughs> uh, kind of like from so, last week. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely a reference to last week. Uh, I guess I'll give you a point if you can come up with the song and the film. If you come up with the song and don't know the film, we'll give you a half point. You can't just say the film because some films are repeated on the list. So that's not fair. Yeah. Uh, Wait, you said some songs are repeated? Some movies are repeated. Oh, some movies are repeated. Gotcha. So you have to you have to get the song right. And if you get the song in the film, you get one point. If you get the song but not the film, you get a half point. But you can't say only the film. Got it. And I'll Got start it. with Terry because Zach apparently didn't like Black Bear. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start with uh, Over the Rainbow from Wizard of Oz. That is number one. When you wish upon a star in Pinocchio. That is number seven. Can I say my heart will go on from Titanic? Yeah, that's number 14. There we go. Right, since I didn't disallow it. Um, Beauty and the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. That is number 62. <coughs> uh, can you, can are we allowed to ask what year this list came out? Uh, sure. It came out 2004. Okay. 2004. <clears throat> okay. Um, I'll give, I'll give, since I only have one list, I'll give you guys a mulligan if you get one wrong. Okay. All right. I'm going to go Gonna Fly Now from Rocky. That's a good one. That is number 58. Uh, theme from Shaft. Shaft. That is number 38. Um... Oh, um... All right, I'll go with the other one I have written down. Eye of the Tiger from Rocky Three. That is not on the list. Oh, okay. So I get my Zach, <clears throat> I'm still in. Uh, take my breath away from uh, Top Gun. And it's not on the list. Are you kidding Ooh. me? Ridiculous. <clears throat> Shame on them. So you guys are still tied at three, and uh, I guess <laughs> if you guys don't get another one, then I uh, then we're done. Um, <laughs> okay, let's go with sound of music. Sound of music. Uh, yes, that is number ten. See, I was wondering about that because that's from the musical it wouldn't be from the movie necessarily so it's I, not it's not original songs right it's just songs it's just right? songs Talk. sounds like the song yes okay that maybe changes things a little bit um how about under the sea from the little mermaid that is not on the list ridiculous probably the wrong little mermaid song um so terry wins four to three uh, I, I've got a couple. As time goes by, Casablanca. Uh, yeah, I believe that song. That's number two. Be on there. Number two. Was it uh, 
maybe kiss the girl from Little Mermaid? Little Mermaid is not on the list at all. Okay, I was also thinking Hi-Ho from Snow White. Uh, Snow White uh, has Someday My Prince Will Come. Oh. That is the only one on the list. Okay. Uh, number right. three was Singing in the Rain. Oh, gosh. Uh, number four, Moon River from Breakfast Club. Number five, White Christmas from Holiday Inn. Number six, Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate. Number seven, When You Wish Upon a Star. Number eight, The Way We Were. Number nine, Staying Alive from Saturday Night Fever. Not Mr. Saturday Night. And yeah, <laughs> Sound of Music was number 10. I said that. I mean, yeah, there there is a ton of classic songs on here that Number 100 is Old Time Rock and Roll from Risky Business. I mean, Dumb. And you obviously did not have Lose Yourself, which is the greatest. That was on the list. winning song. Yes, that is number Three years after it came out, it was on the list. Yep. Wow. Sorry, you okay. cut off. Which song was that? Lose Yourself. Okay. How about Don't Want to <laughs> Miss a Thing from uh, Armageddon? Was that on there? Mm, I had that written um, down. Nope. How about I'm Easy from Nashville? See, I was just thinking best songs. That was yes. my mistake. That, that is number 81. God damn it. That was the third one I wrote down. But I mean, this this list has Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead from The Wizard of Oz. Like the, That's in Springtime for Hitler, 9 to 5. I mean, a lot of stuff. Goldfinger. Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Is that on there? Make Them Laugh. I'm sure that's on the list, too. All right. Well, the important but, part is I win. But no fever dog, I'm guessing. No, there's no hardworking band from Detroit. Damn. <laughs> All right. Troy. Let's wrap this up uh, with quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. I got to go first because I won trivia. I've got two quotes here. Um. One is uh, from Worst Person in the World, and one uh, is one Zach Wishes was from Worst Person in the World. So the one from Worst Person in the World is uh, the most famous butthole in the world. I, I thought that was yeah. kind of funny. And then the one, the as we were talking about it, Zach said he wanted more flames in the movie. And it made me think of a, a line by uh, in from uh, the movie Clue. Uh, and uh, it's uh, Madeline Kahn says this is Mrs. White. She goes, uh, yes, yes, I did it. I killed a vet. I hated her so much. It, 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 f- f- flames, flames on the, on the side of my face, breathing, breathing, heavy breaths, flames. There you go. That, that's what it needed. And it would have had more, more flames. It's beautiful, Terry. Yeah. I love that movie. All right, Todd. Uh, my quote is a quote from Channing Tatum, the actual person, not the actor. He says, I'm thankful for the weird people out there because they are the most creative people. And I think that describes this podcast. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, Zach. Uh, well, I already said my quote of the day. It was the Nikki Six quote about Pearl Jam being a brown-haired band for brown-haired fans, which I also feel uh, applies to the worst person in the world. But this was a pretty epic Twitter rant that he went on um, all about uh, how he, he thinks Pearl Jam is overrated. 
And um, there was a, one of the fans tweeted at him, Nikki at Nikki six. He said, they said, my best friend is about to have a baby. I will recommend Pearl Jam songs to put the baby to sleep. And they, and Nikki six replied, or just sing to the baby with marbles in your mouth. Very Zen. I'm also, I got Nikki six on the brain because I'm still watching Pam and Tommy, which is a phenomenal show. Everybody should watch it. And uh, it, you, you know, haven't finished it. You said you were binging it, and there's only like five oh, I got, episodes. I, I did not get to the most recent episode. No, I'll get to it though. But great show. You need to watch the 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 dirt about uh, Motley Crue. I would love to. I still want to see the Metallica movie that uh, that the okay. documentary that yeah. All right. Well, with that, did we ever come up with this... a Sean McVay actor? How about no. Tom Holst? Tom Holst. Let's bring <laughs> him go. back. He was very energetic in his Oscar. Yeah, maybe in 1985. Yeah, he probably could have done it. There it uh, is. I think that's good enough. We should all give Tom our Holst. point a point for that. Well, Tom I mean, Holst Eric, Eric Stoltz in 1994. Like, I mean, he. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The red hair. He he had good coaching for that stabbing motion. All right, <laughs> let's let's draw this podcast to a wow. close. Thank you Mr. guys Saturday so much. Night was uh, not great at that. <laughs> EpiPen. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.